Okay, we're going to get started to try to keep us more or less on time. Our next presenter is Dr. Sanjeev Arora. He is the director of Project ECHO, an innovative project that uses telemedicine uh, to reach low-volume uh, providers to provide HCV care in rural parts of New Mexico. And he's a professor of medicine at the University of New Mexico Health Science Center. He'll be speaking on hepatitis C. Dr. Arora. Thank you, Laura and Donna, for this opportunity. And um, so we've um, undergone a major change in the field of hepatitis C in the last um, two months, just like you did when new drugs for HIV came along. And at the conclusion of this lecture, you will understand the evidence that led to the approval of bosepiravir to laparavir for hepatitis C, with the direct antiviral agents, protease inhibitors, and how to identify appropriate candidates for treatment in your practice for treatment of naive infection, and we'll, of course, make comments related to co-infection. The protease inhibitors act on the left side of this slide, act on translation here, and you can see both bosepravir and telaprovir are on the left side. There are going to be many new drugs coming on the right side, which are polymerase inhibitors and replication complex inhibitors, etc. These two, two drugs are bosepravir and telaprovir. And the trials that I'll be discussing are for bosepravir are SPRINT2 for naive patients, advanced trial uh, for telaprovir, and for um, non-response and prior treatment failures, we'll discuss um, the RESPOND2 trial and the REALIZED trial for bosepravir and telaprovir respectively. Let me dive right in and uh, talk about the naive study for bosepravir. There were three arms in this study. The first arm got 48 weeks of pegylated interferon ribavirin, the control arm. The second arm got peg riba for four-week lead-in. That means they got no protease inhibitor. For four weeks, they got pegylated interferon ribavirin, followed by 24 weeks of pegylated interferon ribavirin plus bosepravir. At week 28, essentially a look back occurred, and if patients were negative for HCV RNA, from 8 weeks to 24 weeks, that means at 8 weeks, 12 weeks, and 24 weeks, they were zero. Then all treatments stopped. If they were positive at that time, then they continued to get pegylated interferon ribavirin for an additional 20 weeks to reach week 48 weeks, and then treatment was stopped. The, the third arm got peg riba for four weeks, followed by peg riba plus bosepravir for a total of 44 more weeks, and treatment was stopped at the end of that, and follow-up occurred. Here are the results. You can see here on the... Let's just look at non-black patients first. 40% of the control arm got cured versus 67 and 68% of the, of the response-guided therapy and the uh, people getting... Uh, 
um, the entire 48 weeks. In general, what they, what they found was that the response guided therapy was as good in a little less than half the patients got response guided therapy here. That means the importance of this slide is that approximately half of the patients only got 28 weeks of treatment as opposed to getting a full 48 weeks. In African Americans, the response rates were lower and response guided therapy did not, was lower than people, so the people who got 28 weeks or 48 weeks, depending on the response, did worse than the people who just got bosepravir and pegriba 48 weeks. Let's go to the advanced trial. This is the other drug, telaprovir. And here, the, the principal difference between telaprovir and bosepravir when we start treatment is in bosepravir, there's a lead-in four weeks with pegylated interferon ribavirin, whereas with, with telaprovir, there is no lead-in. You go directly with three drugs. You go with telaprovir, pegylated interferon ribavirin, start all three drugs, the middle arm here, for 12 weeks, and then you give another 12 weeks after that of pegylated interferon and ribavirin. At this point, week 24, you have to make a decision. You look back, and if the patient was negative at week 4 and week 12, at that point you completely stop all treatment and just follow the patient and do a HCV RNA six weeks, I mean six months later. And in this case, um, we found that about 57% of people could actually stop here and on only required 24 weeks of treatment. There's a third arm here, which is the control arm. They got essentially pegylated interferon ribavirin for 48 weeks. This arm I won't discuss. They got telaprovir for eight weeks, but ultimately this didn't make it into the package insert, and so we'll ignore that. So you have two arms basically, telaprovir, um, for 12 weeks with PEGRIBA, followed by 12 weeks of PEGRIBA versus control. Here are the results. You can see here the control arm on the right had a cure rate of 44%, whereas the arm that got 12 weeks of telaprovir got cured 75% of the time. This data was later analyzed by the FDA, and the cure rate was raised to 79%, essentially. So extraordinary benefit with these drugs um, in naive hepatitis C patients. So who should be treated? Chronic HCV genotype 1 that fulfill criteria for PEG-RIBA. If you can't tolerate PEG-RIBA, you cannot tolerate this medicine. Uh, if the patient is cirrhotic, they should be compensated. No variceal hemorrhage, ascites, or encephalopathy. You must have strong adherence. There is strong data that if you miss doses, you, you're going to get resistance, just like in HIV. And the safety in HIV, hepatitis B, pediatric, pregnant patients, or organ transplant recipients has not been established yet. So let's go and get down to the nitty-gritty. How do you actually manage a patient? Up here is bosepravir. This is treatment-naive patients who don't have cirrhosis. You give them pegylated interferon ribavirin alone 
for four weeks. Then give them Bucepravir 800 milligrams, three times daily. They have to be given every seven to nine hours. It should be every eight hours, but the window is every seven to nine hours. Now, what happens if a patient misses a dose? As long as there is still two hours left for the next dose to come, you can still take your dose. The missed dose should be taken. If you've gone into the two-hour window before the next dose is going to come, then you want to stop and skip that dose. Now, what happens here is you have to take this food with food or within 30 minutes of food. And the reason is you can be variability of up to 80% in the absorption of this drug with food. This, the second thing about Bosepravir is if a patient has cirrhosis, you cannot do response-guided therapy. Remember we talked about looking back at week 28 and if 8 weeks and 24 was negative, you'd stop treatment. If you have cirrhosis, you can't do that. You just give 4 weeks of Pegriva followed by 44 weeks of Bosepravir, Pegriva, and again with food. What do we do with Telaprovir? Telaprovir is given 750 milligrams three times a day, again every eight hours, the window is seven to nine hours, with food. In this case, the food issue is much more significant. You've got to give this with a meal, within 30 minutes of a meal, but the meal must contain 20 grams of fat. Every single meal must contain 20 grams of fat. So the variability in absorption of telaprovir, if you take it on an empty stomach, versus you take it on a full stomach can be as much as 280, 230%. So you're talking about huge changes with food. And so how do you get 20 grams of fat? You can have them take half a cup of nuts, half a cup of trail mix, one cup of ice cream, or a bagel with cream cheese, or something with, um, with food. Um, now, it so happened I've been trying to tell my patients to lose weight all this time. <laughs> and this has become a real problem at this point. Because I was saying if you take 60 grams of fat every day, that's, that's 540 calories right there and then before you've done anything else. So here is, I want to just go over the response-guided therapy one more time with you. Let's go to Bosepravir. If you're undetectable at week 8, 12, and 24, you complete your three-drug regimen at week 28. If you're detectable at week 8 and 12, undetectable at 24 weeks, then you continue all three medicines. That means you now extended Bosepravir till week 36, and then for additional 12 weeks after that, you give Pegriba alone. So that's the regimen response-guided therapy for Bosepravir. What do you do for telaprovi? If you're undetectable at week 4 and 12, you get an additional 12 weeks of Pegriba, you stop. If you're detectable at either week 4 or 12, you get an additional 36 weeks of Pegriba. The important point to remember is you never get extra telaprovi. You just get 12 weeks of telaprovi. It's just how much you extend your Pegriba based on response-guided therapy. Let's just move on to what should we do with patients 
who are treatment experienced. That means they took treatment before, which has failed. Let's go to Bosepravir first, respond to trial. The top arm is the control group. They just got 48 weeks of Pegriba, one more time. Group 2 is response-guided therapy. You got Pegriba for four weeks. Now you got Bosepravir Pegriba for an additional 32 weeks. For Naive, it was an additional 24 weeks. Here it's an additional 32 weeks. So you've reached week 36, at which time you do the same look back. If you were negative at week 8, 12, you basically stop treatment and then follow up six months later to check for virus. On the other hand, if you were positive at any particular point of time, you get peg riba for an additional 12 weeks to reach week 48. Let's go to the realized trial, the telaprovi study for interferon experience for previous treatment failures. Let's start from the bottom. This is the control arm. All they got was 48 weeks of, um, they got 48 weeks of um, peg riba. The middle arm got a lead-in, but I'm going to ignore that because it didn't make it into the package insert, so we'll just talk about two arms. The second arm was telaprovir plus PEG plus riba for a total of 12 weeks, followed by 36 weeks of PEG, interferon, and ribavirin alone. Total treatment duration, 48 weeks. And so now we're going to control the, uh, compare these results. This is vocetravir in prior responders. When one is looking at this data on treatment experience patients, it is completely irrelevant to look at data, aggregated data. You have to look at data according to what was the type of previous non-response. So let me give you uh, just a little review here. Essentially, 69 to 75% of prior relapsers got cured. So if your prior response was you became zero, and then it came back after you had stopped treatment, the relapse situation, then you have a very high chance of cure with Bacepravir. On the other hand, if you were a prior partial non-responder, what does a partial non-responder mean? That means in the previous treatment of hepatitis C, if you had more than a two-log drop at 12 weeks, but you didn't become negative ever, that's a prior partial responder. If you had prior partial response, you got cured between 40 and 52% of the case. If you had a prior null response, prior null response means in the previous treatment you did not have a two-log drop in response to your treatment at 12 weeks, you could not get into the Bosepravir trial. Bosepravir trial only enrolled two types of treatment failures, prior relapsers and prior partial non-responders. Let's look at the telaprovir data. What happened to people who got telaprovir with previous treatment failure? If you were relapser, you got cured about 83 to 88% of the time. If you were a prior partial responder, you got cured 54 to 59% of the time. Look at the control arms in orange here. Very low, 24% for relapsers, 15% for prior partial responders and 5% for prior null responders cure rates when you treat them again. 
So this is a huge improvement. You can see in relapsers, the improvement is 60% improvement over standard of care. Now here, 54% versus 15%. The important point in this slide to remember is that prior null responders, people who did not have a two-log drop in response to previous treatment, have quite a bad cure rate, 33 to 29%. So one has to rethink whether this is the group of people you want to treat right away. Why do you want to treat right away? Can you wait another couple of years for newer treatments to come? The other important point about telaprovir, which I want to show you here, is your previous response pattern is very important in all circumstances, but in some circumstances, how bad your liver disease is, is also very important. So let's take a look at this. If you were a prior relapser, no matter what liver disease you have, you could have cirrhosis or whatever is going on, no problem. You can get cured about 85% of the time. On the other hand, if you were a prior partial responder, you can see it's a huge difference. If you had cirrhotic, you got cured 34% of the time. If you had bridging fibrosis, 56% of the time. If your liver was completely normal, 72% cure rate. Huge decline. The most important thing to notice about this slide is this last box on the right. If you have cirrhosis and you're a previous null responder that is less than a two-log drop with interferon riba previously, your chance of cure with the three drugs is only 14%. So that's a group unfortunately is not going to benefit. That's a group that really needs treatment now, but we don't have effective treatment. So let me summarize again for you what is treatment with, for treatment experienced patients. In previous partial responders or relapsers without cirrhosis, you give them bosepravir, you give them peg interferon ribavirin for four weeks. Never give bosepravir in the first four weeks. Then bosepravir 800 milligrams three times a day. And then after that, you go into response guided therapy the way it's described below. If, on the other hand, you were a previous partial responder or relapser with compensated cirrhosis, you just get four weeks of lead-in followed by 44 weeks of bosepravir pegriba. If any of you are finding it confusing, it is. Um, I, I've, I've tried my best to make it absolutely simple, but I can't. And, and, and I mean, there is no way to simplify this. And for that reason, at the end of the talk, I'll tell you what one of the solutions we've created. The response-guided therapy in treatment experience patient means if you're undetectable at eight, eight weeks and 24 weeks, you basically complete the three-drug regimen at 36 weeks and stop. Remember, it was 28 weeks for naive and 36 weeks for treatment experience. If you were detectable at week 8, undetectable at 24 weeks, then you complete all three regimen at 36 weeks, but then you continue PEG-RIBA for an additional 12 weeks. What do we do with response-guided interlaparavir patients? Here, prior relapse patients, if you were undetectable at week 4 and 12, 
Then you give first four weeks, of course, telaprovir peg riba, additional 12 weeks of peg interferon riba. For relapsed patients, you can get away with 24 weeks of treatment, total duration. If, on the other hand, you had detectable virus any time between 4 or 12 weeks, you give first 12 weeks of three drugs, followed by additional 36 weeks of peg riba. And for prior partial and null responders, you just give 12 weeks of, peg of three drugs and 36 weeks of peg riba. These are very important. They are stopping rules, or also called rules of futility. If, let's go with telaprovir this time first. If at week 4 or week 12, if your HCV RNA at any point is over 1,000 international units, you have to discontinue all three drugs. If at week 24 you have any virus, you have to discontinue all drugs. Okay? For Bosepravir, at 12 weeks, if your viral load is over 100 international units, you discontinue the three drugs. And at week 24, if you have any virus, you discontinue all three drugs. So what are the safety considerations of these drugs? Let's tackle Bosepravir first. The most common adverse event are fatigue, anemia, nausea, headache, and an altered taste, dysgeusia. Anemia occurs in 50% of people versus 30% of controls, and dysgeusia occurs in 35% of patients versus 16% of controls. 43% of patients in the Bosepravir trial required erythropoietin to maintain their hemoglobin. On the other hand, in telaprovir, erythropoietin was not allowed. Here are safety considerations for telaprovir. Rash, 56% of patients versus 34%. In some people, it can be severe. 6% of all patients had to stop telaprovir because the rash was so severe and it couldn't be managed. Fatigue, of course. Another um, anemia occurs about twice as often. So both telaprovir and bosepravir bring an additional one gram fall in the hemoglobin. About 29% of patients experience some anorectal symptoms, uh, due, either due to hemorrhoids or some anorectal discomfort of uncertain etiology. This is what a severe drug rash to telaprovir looks like, and you can be all over the body. One patient in the world has been described to have a dress syndrome. This is um, a drug rash with eosinophilia and systemic symptoms. And this is that French person out of more than 2,000 people who developed this disease. So the way to manage the drug rash is to First, stop, uh, first use oral, um, I mean, uh, topical corticosteroids and antihistaminics. And if that doesn't work, uh, you have to stop um, essentially the ribavirin. I mean, if it doesn't work, uh, then you have to stop the telaprovir. The clinical pharmacology here is very important. So one of the most difficult parts about using these medicines is the issue related to drug interactions. Just to put things simply, 
the only way I have learned in the last month and a half I've been prescribing these medicines, the only way I can, I can prescribe these medicines safely is in my clinic I have to have three pages of drug interaction from the package insert for Buseprovir and another three pages of Tilaprovir sort of laminated and put there so that I can actually patient by patient go through his drug list and then manage what to do. I haven't figured out an easier way. If any of you know there's an easier way, let me know. But this is, I know there's a Liverpool website, but I think that the Buseprovir, uh, for me it's easier to have it on paper right there. The Buseprovir is a strong inhibitor of CYP3A45, partially metabolized by the same enzyme, and inhibitor of substrate of PGP. The same for um, Tilaprovir. So these drugs are absolutely contraindicated according to the package insert. And you can see this is not just a list of esoteric drugs. There are some real drugs in here which we use often. Lovastatin, Simvastatin, and uh, Midazolam, Viagra, and so on and so forth. And Boseprovir, another couple of drugs here. With anti-HIV agents, Afavarens has got, Afavarens is, I have a very hard time pronouncing this name. Um, it leads to diminished Buseprovir concentration a little bit. And um, Ritanavir, again, reduces Buseprovir concentration, the package insert. And there are drug interactions with a lot of other agents here. Um, yeah, with the atazanavir, ritanavir uh, boost, you have uh, interactions with uh, telaprovir and so on and so forth. I won't go into all of the details, but I think this is something you just have to keep it in mind. There's, what is the summary of the efficacy before I move on to other issues? We have a higher sustained spiral response rate with naive patients with these three drugs, 67 to 75 percent versus 40% originally. Relapsers get cured even more than naive patients because of inter proven interferon sensitivity. Partial responders 40 to 59 percent, null responders 29 to 33 percent. So what do you get for this increased cure rate? You get a potential for increased side effects, we talked about that. You get a potential for resistance associated variants if the patient is not interferon sensitive or non-adherent. So the important message to take along is in order to cure HCV with these new drugs, you have to be interferon sensitive. If your previous treatment showed that interferon had no effect, then these drugs cannot work, basically, because you'll get resistance. And the other issue is if the patient was unreliable or cannot take medicines every eight hours, and you need alarm systems to do this, on the, uh, in the schedules that you have. The windows are very narrow. For telaprovir, if you miss, remember I mentioned about bosepravir, you can get up to two hours of the next dose and still take your dose. For telaprovir, if you miss by four hours, you have to skip the dose, basically. So let me show you some data on HIV, HCV co-infection, which is what all of you are interested in. And here is, uh, the study presented in CROI, Part A are HIV patients who, don't, who are not getting antiretroviral treatment. And you can see here 
that they got 12 weeks of telaprevir pegriva followed by 40, 36 weeks of pegriva, three drugs versus control. Part B here is our people, HIV patients who are getting ART. Let's look at the, what ART they're getting. Ethavirenz, tenofovir, FTC, or atazanavir boosted, vidutonavir, tenofovir plus FTC or 3TC. So, so these are the only regimens that have been tested. So that's very important to know that if, if you're going to use this at least and if you want to know whether there's any data, this is the evidence that there is data. That said, let me show you the results. The good news is at four weeks, these drugs are amazing. Four week negativity ranging between average 70%. Basically, 70% of people become negative as opposed to control 5 to 12%. So you can see that all of a sudden you've got a 60% delta and the number of people become negative at 4 weeks. At 12 weeks, this negativity of virus is maintained. Let's look at just this bar here. This is the combined 37 patients. 68% of them are negative for HCV RNA at 12 weeks. This tells me that you're going to have a pretty substantial cure rate in this group of people. You're going to cure. I don't know the data because this is, I mean, now we are up to 24 weeks, but the data basically suggests to me that these drugs are going to be successful in managing co-infection. The challenge for you is, so let's look at these drugs uh, use and the interaction that occurred in these studies. This is telaprovir concentrations with these antiretrovirals that I talked about and the change is not huge, basically. There is change. You can see some of these, um, some of these uh, confidence intervals are wide, but by and large, it's manageable. This is the concentrations of the antiretroviral drugs in response to telaprovir, and you can see that in in um, orange, in tenofovir, goes down by about 20%. But I'm told by experts that that's pretty manageable also. Here is data. What happens to HIV RNA? If you were a note, if you were an ART before, there's no change in HIV RNA. You were probably negative. On the other hand, if you were HIV positive, not on ART, there's about a one log drop in HIV. I'm told this is not due to direct effect of telaprovir on HIV, but it is due to the fact that when you lower HCV, you reduce the immunosuppression that HCV causes. And so your immune system gets a boost, essentially, and brings HIV down. So what are the conclusions from this trial? In this interim analysis, the most common adverse events in telaprovir patients were fatigue, nausea, headache. You, I told you about 70% at 4 weeks, 68% negative at 12 weeks. No ex unexpected trends in CD4 or HIV. And no, at least in this small study of 37 patients, there weren't too many drug interactions that we had to concern about. Okay. I'm going to call our panel up here. And uh, this is Dr. And please come upstairs and up here, and then we're going to, while you're coming up, I will uh, start presenting this case.
John is a 40-year-old white man with a past history of intravenous drug use in his 20s and was found to have an elevated ALT level on routine testing. Follow-up testing revealed he was positive for the HCV antibody. Patient feels well except for low energy level, no history of alcohol use, physical exam is normal, hemoglobin is 15.6, platelets 256, ALT is 102, INR and serum albumin are normal. Body weight is 90 kilograms, HCV genotype 1, HCV RNA 2 million international units per ml. Since his diagnosis in January 2009, patient has been waiting for the release of these direct antiviral agents and requests treatment. A decision, he has, HIV is negative. A decision is made to treat with pegylated interferon 2B, ribavirin, and bosepravir. How would you treat this patient? Number one, so we can... Uh, Patient is started on Bosepravir, 800 milligram, three times a day, every seven to nine hours, plus PEG and RIBA. Patient is started on Bosepravir, plus PEG, RIBA, uh, at RIBA only 800 milligrams as opposed to 1,200 milligram in option one to reduce the risk of anemia. And third, patient is started on PEG, 150 micrograms weekly, and ribavirin, 1,200 milligrams per day. Okay. Okay, please. Choose your answer. Okay, I am absolutely overjoyed that most of you got the message because the key message is you can never start Bosepravir without first giving four weeks of a lead-in with Peg Riba. That's, and I think all of you got it. And, um, uh, let's go to the next question, and then I'm going to go to the panel to um, ask them some questions about this case, too. The viral load at 12 weeks is 50 international units, and at 24 weeks is undetectable. Remember, this is a patient who has never been treated before. What would you do next? Continue all three medicines and finish through week 48. Continue all three medicines and finish at week 36. Continue all three medicines till week 36 and then pegylated interferon and ribavirin and finish through week 48. If viral load at 12 weeks was undetectable, total treatment duration would be 24 weeks. Yes, the correct answer is three. So um, the reason you wouldn't uh, um, do number four, because if viral load was at de detectable at 12 weeks, the total duration of treatment would be 28 weeks. You get four weeks of Pegriba, followed by 24 weeks of Bosepravir Pegriba. It was a little bit of a trick question. Number three issue is you continue all three medicines uh, till week 36 and that's the right answer. Let me um, go to our panel here. I'm going to go to Jeffrey Beal first. Jeff, tell us, um, perhaps you could expand on what would happen if this patient had 
HIV also. And how would you think about this patient if a patient uh, had HIV, HCV co-infection with exactly the same uh, measures that we talked about? Same lab test. I probably would defer to an expert and call you. <laughs> but, um, you know, when I, when I look at the, the scenario of the patient, if this were an HIV-infected patient, too, I'd have to know what the antiretroviral therapy was. And I think that's the question that he's posing, is how are we going to use these drugs in patients that are co-infected with HIV? And we have 12 weeks worth of data in a very small number of patients from a co-infected trial that lead us to believe we'd have to be very selective in our patient population. But it's exciting data. I mean, when you show me something that says in four weeks I can get that many patients down to undetectable, it, it piques my interest and stimulates me to want to use them that I think at the same time I'd be very reticent um, to add either bocepravir, especially bocepravir, but to add uh, telaprevir as an option right now today. I think I want to wait and get a little bit more data myself. Okay. And um, Dr. McLeod, Alvarez McLeod, mm -hmm. go ahead. We have had um, several years of experience of treating hepatitis C in co-infected patients. There have not been very happy years. Uh, because there hasn't been that greater response. I am looking forward to actually integrating these new drugs slowly into our hep C clinic because that is the reason most of our patients are dying right now, if it's a cardiovascular disease or liver disease. Um, I will look carefully at what drugs they're in and all the interactions, but I'm looking forward to probably doing at least a few this year already. Dr. Sack. So I think I would have trouble using bisepravir because we don't have as much drug interaction data, but you described nicely the telaprevir drug interaction data, and there are some data with bisepravir I know emerging. And um, I think it's kind of a coin toss, but um, for someone who has got um, something beyond just mild fibrosis but not quite the cirrhosis, and I'm worried about them progressing uh, in the next year or two, I would lean towards treating them now. Uh, assuming everything else is favorable, and make sure that they're on one of those two drugs, either the boosted atazanavir or uh, the efavirenz, and then I would probably lean towards uh, telaprevir. And one thing, because uh, there's a lot of information here, but the dose of telaprevir has to go up as well, right, with the HIV patients to, I think it's 1250 instead of 750. So there's a lot of nuances, and I think the take-home point is um, this is something that most every HIV provider can do. Um, because we already understand how to use complicated antiviral regimens. It's just, it's a pretty steep learning curve initially, but once you get there, you keep the little uh, plastic sheets in front of you and you go from there. Yes. And, uh, just, uh, just a quick statement. The, the dose for the telaprevir, if you're on the atazanavir, ritonavir, is 753 times a day, and if you're on the ephavirenz, it's, it's 1125. 1125. It's three of them um, instead of two. And, uh, you know, back to your case, the first one that you presented, um, some factors that would go against just pegylated interferon alone working would be that high viral load as a, as a factor that would not. It, our HIV patients do better if their viral loads are less than 400,000. At least he is not obese. Uh, he's got otherwise good factors for treatment. I think on him I might argue just going ahead and using pegylated interferon and ribavirin alone and not waiting if you were worried in Michael's position until we had more data. There'd be nothing wrong with that. I think our problem in the HIV world is 
we're not treating this disease. We're simply ignoring it in the majority of our clinics. Would you do the IL-2 and the AB test before you decide on treatment? We're going to talk about that in a moment. Okay. Let's go to the next slide, please. Okay. Okay. So the first answer to the first question was, if you look at the second row, if you're detectable at week 12 and undetectable at week 24, you continue all three medicines until 36 and then get back right after 48 weeks. Okay. The next case is a 50-year-old white man with a past history of intravenous drug use in 1982 and was found to have an elevated ALT level on routine testing. Follow-up testing was positive for HCV antibody. He has a past history of heavy alcohol use until 2001. Physical exam shows spider nevi, indicator of cirrhosis. Hemoglobin is 15.6 grams per deciliter. Platelets are 136. ALT is 102. AST is 132. INR is normal, and serum albumin is 3.8. There are many indicators on this to suggest the patient has cirrhosis. One is the spider nevi, the low platelet count, the AST greater than ALT, and the low normal serum albumin level. Body weight is 90 kilogram, HCV RNA is 2 million. In 2009, Rex was treated with pegylated interferon 2A and ribavirin. His 12-week viral load was 15,000 international units. 24-week viral load was detectable and treatment was stopped. This was in 2009. A decision is made to treat with pegylated interferon 2A, ribavirin, and telaprovir. Patient is started on telaprovir 750, three times per day every seven to nine hours, plus peg riba. Viral load at four weeks and 12 weeks is undetectable. What would you do next? First, continue all three medicines and finish through week 48. Continue all three medicines and finish at week 36. Continue all three medicines till week 36 and then pegylated interferon ribavirin finish through week 48. Continue all three medicines for a total of 24 weeks. Oops. Okay, so I think that I messed up here. I, I, I changed this slide, but I think I put the wrong deck in there. But let me, let me tell you what I would do um, here, is that if you have a partial and null responder, if you have a prior partial, let's look at the bottom of this slide. The only person who can get sh shortened treatment in a previous treatment failure patient is somebody who is a prior relapser. That means the point to remember is the response guided therapy, shortening duration of treatment 20 folks, is only valid in prior relapsers when it comes to treatment failure patients. In everybody else, prior partial and partial null responder, you give first 12 weeks 
of three drugs followed by 36 weeks of Pegriva. So everybody gets 48 weeks of treatment if you're a previous treatment failure. What, what did this patient have? This patient was a prior partial responder. If you recall, 2 million was the initial viral load, 15,000 was at 12 weeks. If the patient had 20, more than 20,000, he would have been a null responder. Less than 20,000 is a prior partial responder. So that's the treatment here that we would give. The expected, what is the cure rate for this patient? So we're talking about a patient who's got cirrhosis and has a prior partial response. What is the cure rate here? 34 to 56, go ahead. So, the correct answer here is 34 to 56%. And I'll show you why this happens in this way. If you, although this patient, had this patient been a null responder, that's the right side, we would have got cure rates in the 14 to 39%. But here, because the patient has cirrhosis, or the minimum he has is bridging fibrosis, and you can see here, it's 72% cure rate, if the patient had normal histology, 56% for bridging and 34% for cirrhosis in prior partial responders. So that's the, that's the data you can give to your patient if he was naive, had partial prior response and has cirrhosis of the liver. Let me go to my colleagues here and ask them exactly the same question one more time. Now this patient is sitting in your clinic. We'll start with Dr. Sag. He's got HIV also and has HCV. So I'm changed the case. Mm -hmm. Everything else remains the same, but it's co-infected. What would you do with this patient? And he's a prior partial responder. Prior partial responder. With, with maybe early cirrhosis or late bridging fibrosis. Yes. I would lean towards treating, and I would be very happy if he ended up with uh, undetectable virus at weeks 4 and 12, because then he's on the way to a cure and I think, as you alluded to, the data for stopping short, in this case it's straightforward because he's a partial responder. If he was a prior relapser, we might not know exactly what to do. But I think I'd err on the side of a longer 48-week therapy. So I'd be ecstatic if he were negative at 4 and 12, stop the telaprevir at week 12, and then continue with peg ribavirin until week 48 and keep my fingers crossed. Thank you. Dr. McLeod? I probably also would treat this patient. The, the, the data is very good. The not treating him will basically lead him to death yeah. from cirrhosis or liver cancer. So but I'm, I'm going to follow up with that question with you, Dr. McLeod. What if this patient was not on, was resistant to favarins and atazanavir boosted ritonavir, and you had the patient on other medicines which have not been tested so far? Would you go so far as to start doing the test yourself? Would you run the experiment yourself or would you wait? I mean, I, I, think, I think there seems to be consensus in our group here that as the case was stated, if the patient was taking atazanavir, boosted 
uh, or um, Fairbairns, they'd give the treatment. Okay, so we've so, got that part sorted so out. So he's now asking, make it a little more controversial here, Dr. McLeod. He's asking if you're a rhinestone cowgirl. Yes, <laughs> right. Well, when I first started treating hepatitis C, I didn't have that much data, and the patients really were on all different kinds of medications. We follow them weekly. So if I had to decide, and the patient was um, willing and able, and they come in every single week, I would probably follow them very strictly and keep strict tabs on what's happening. And, 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 and make them sign all kinds of forms sure. that we are aware we don't know. Sure. It raises, it raises a good question, and um, Dr. Aurora, is there, or does anyone know, um, if there's any place that has good either theoretical data, um, like is on the Liverpool website, that could give us a little bit better guidance, or is this a role for therapeutic drug monitoring if you have it in your area? Um, are there places that we could turn where we could really get some experts that might be able to guide us? I think the only way to treat this patient if your patient was on none of these two medicines would be to actually, the pharmaceutical companies have this data. They have tested them with most of these drugs. One would have to go to them and basically have, this would be a very customized approach. I'm not recommending it to everybody, but they do have data on what is the percentage decline on each of these medicines and then try to figure out, but it would be very complex. I, this is not something that I'm um, saying should be done, but I'm, just opening up the issues that are going to come into your practice here. Um, so uh, let me talk a little bit about IL-28 genotype. This is data came out in 2009 in Nature saying that if you were CC genotype IL-28B, you had about a 75% cure rate versus if you had a CT or TT, your cure rate was about 25-30%. So we had identified a host factor that could lead to... Um, this is data in co-infected patients essentially saying the same thing. Let's just look at this last second last line. 75% cure rate for CC, 37%, 44%. So essentially, before the advent of these, three, these two new drugs, we knew that IL-28B genotype was a very, very strong predictor of whether you got cured or not. Now let's look at what happens in naive patients with these genotypes? This is SPRINT2, naive patients who were treated with bosepravir. If you were CC, you had an 80% cure rate. CT, your cure rate was 65 to 71%. And TT, 59-55%. So what has happened is these genotypes still make a difference. But the difference is strongly mitigated. It's essentially huge reduction in the contribution of the IL-28 genotype as a result of this action. Let's look at what happens with telaprovi. If you are CC genotype, you get cured 84 to 90% of the time. If you are CT, 57 to 71%. If you are TT, 59 to 73 So essentially, the difference between the cure rate between TT and CC is only about 20% now. So you've really dramatically compressed, telling us, so now what then makes a difference? Let's look at this data here. This is very interesting data, because here what we are saying is, if you have a prior relapser, meaning if you are interferon sensitive, right, it doesn't matter what your genotype is. CC, CT, TT, all over 85% cure rate, gone. 
On the other hand, if you're a partial responder, you can see no major difference again. But for null responders, there is some difference. So essentially what we are saying here is these agents, if you have very strong antiviral effect drugs, all this IL-28B genotype and all that is going to go out of the window. And I'll show you some evidence actually that that is happening. So I'm going to make a couple of comments about how would I think, how am I thinking. I've started a couple of patients on with HIV on medicines. I asked myself, this patient has co-infection, is he naive or previous treatment failure? What is the previous treatment response? If the previous treatment response was a null response, that is less than a two-log drop, and the patient, then I go to stage of liver disease. If the patient's liver disease is mild and you had a previous null response, this is a no-brainer. You don't want to treat this patient because you're going to get resistance. Remember, you need interferon sensitivity to avoid resistance. I could do the IL-28B genotype if I had a lot of money. ART regimen the patient is taking will play into this game, whether I make a decision. If the stage of liver disease is the single most thing that tips me, for somebody who has cirrhosis of the liver, I am very inclined to treat them. Why? Because I know the patient is going to die and probably doesn't have another two, three years for the next range of drugs to come. So I'm willing to take a lot more risk in that situation than if the patient has mild liver disease, in which case I like Dr. Beale's idea. Maybe I'll wait, especially if he's got a pure... Uh, what was the previous ART... What is the current ART regimen the patient is taking? Can you change it? Is a consideration. What is the adherence to the previous ART or the previous HCV treatment? If the guy wasn't taking medicines the first time around, giving these medicines is not going to be a good idea. Should the patient wait for final data on telaprovir, bisaprovir to come out? And lastly, should the patient wait for new therapies to come out? Because new therapies are looking amazing. This was data presented in Berlin showing that essentially when you use four drugs, NS5 inhibitor plus a protease inhibitor plus PEG-RIBA, null responders, 100% cure rate. Never been seen. Telling us that essentially these drugs are just around the horizon and if, as long as you can wait, you've got something amazing coming down the pipe. And that's something that you, you all want to... Um, can I, I want to mention to you the one last thing that... For some of you who are confused, we, are, we have a project called the ECHO Project, which we're starting on July 2012. Every Tuesday afternoon, all the way from about 1 o'clock to about 7.30 at night, you can join an 800 number call, and you'll be able to see this kind of a screen on your computer, and you can present your own patients from anywhere in the United States of hepatitis C or co-infection, and experts like Mark Swilkowski and Ira Jacobson, the people who wrote these papers, will give you advice on how to manage your individual patients. If you want to see the, the website, if you want to learn more, you can go to this website, echo.hcvexperts.com. Sorry, it's not echo. It's echohcvexperts.com. That first dot is missing. echohcvexperts.com, and you can have this. Thank you for your attention. So well, we have time, about five minutes for questions.
I wanted to ask a, can I ask a quick question? Um, Dr. Aurora, what is, what is it that we should be advocating for, or what do we need to do to see our hepatitis HIV patients included in the frontline trials of newer drugs coming out instead of waiting until the drugs are released and studying them then in HIV? Yeah, I think this is a great travesty um, because of the fact that um, all these drugs, um, um, are sh the patients who need them most are least included in clinical trials. And I think uh, you speak to Dr. Laura Cheever about this, uh, why, how we should, I, I don't have the answer to this, but I think that we need advocacy essentially with pharmaceutical companies because there's some increased risk involved and so people are reluctant. But I think that is a really, really big issue that we should tackle. Agreed. I'd like to suggest more of an emphasis on the stage of the cirrhosis, the stage of the liver disease. My impression from other workshops I've been, I'm Lawrence Golden from Mendocino County, California, by the way. Um, I'm not sure I would have treated either of these patients because we didn't know either by biopsy or fibrosure test what their stage of disease was. And without knowing that, I don't think we know what the stakes are in terms of whether we should wait a year or two until there are more drugs which are much less toxic than these or the stakes are high enough to treat these people. No, I, I think your point is absolutely valid, that the stage of liver disease is absolutely essential. I would take a small issue with your assumption that one needs a liver biopsy or fibrosure necessarily to make the decision about stage of liver disease. Clinical exam and laboratory tests are extraordinarily good for detecting the other the extremes of, uh, such as, um, for example, the APRI score is a very good score based just on platelet count, AST, ALT, etc. So I think that there, I could say with 98% certainty the second patient had cirrhosis. And so, but your point is valid, and I, I don't want to dismiss the, the underlying point is histology is critical in co-infection to decide. But cirrhosis doesn't tell you this, this guy could have cirrhosis and still only have stage two or three disease, and it's only stage four heading towards end-stage disease where you have to treat. Isn't that correct? The, the, no. Um, the word cirrhosis means stage four disease. That's by definition. The, the only way you can use the word cirrhosis is stage four disease. Okay, thank you. It's a quick questions and answers. Uh, yeah, hi, uh, Dr. Warren Goldenberg from uh, Southwest Care in Santa Fe. Uh, how do you, maybe you'll talk about this in the breakout session, discern between using bosepravir and telapavir in your patients? I noticed in the, in the data, reporting data, the, the, in African Americans for bosepravir, it was teased out at different response rates, so would that change your decision if you had an African American patient? And another quick question I had is a talk I recently attended it was suggested for patient compliance, the, the physician that was giving the talk, that he was dosing his patient's ribavirin TID to match the new drug treatments and what you thought about that. Thank you. Michael, do you want to address these? Um, I don't, I, I think it's a judgment about whether you dose TID, but I think I'd stick with what, I think it's, I think I'd stick with the way the studies were done in, in, in dose QD. I don't know what you would write. Yeah, I, I don't see any problem uh, dosing it three times a day if you need to. It's a very long half-life drug, and giving it here and there won't make a difference. And so in terms of choice between the two drugs, both are good drugs. And, um, and, and patients, uh, I will sort of choose depending on availability. Both of them have extraordinarily good um, indigent care drug replacement programs, and uh, Tilaprivir has a particularly good copay covering program. And so I, I'll use some of these other things related to... Um, 
making the choice. But both are good drugs, and, and I don't particularly want to choose one or the other right now. One quick question. Is treatment uh, duration affected by HIV status? Do HIV-positive yes. patients need to be treated longer? Always for 48 weeks minimum. The studies definitely are being done. There's no response-guided therapy in this arm, yeah. Uh, Kim Boone, one of the uh, uh, ID physicians here in uh, South Florida. I'm a new graduate from ID program, and I'm treating HIV patients in the Federal Qualified Health Center. So, again, one of our main challenges is getting the uh, proper resources for adequate care. And, you know, with the advent of what's uh, going on with these uh, new protease inhibitors, the paradigm of HIV, HIV and hepatitis C treatment is changing. But the big question, again, is, you know, with what we have, how am I going to be able to manage to get these for underinsured or, or people that are just on a Ryan White plan? I mean, are there going to be changes in the ADAP formulary, the Ryan White formulary, or are these industries going to be able to extend these through prescription assistance plans? So the prescription assistance programs for both drugs is absolutely extraordinary. Tilaprovir has one, uh, another, the copay management is also huge for people who have insurance because that's a problem for people with copays. It can be hundreds of dollars a month. So, um, and um, the thing about, so I, I don't think financial barriers will exist to using the medicine. But if you're an FQHC, you're going to still have barriers like getting viral loads every time. You're going to need four or five viral loads to cure a patient here. And that, that makes it very difficult. You're right. And I'm not sure how you'll do that. But the drugs will be available to you for all patients. That's basically it. Um, but I think the only way we can tackle HCV in your patients and all the patients in the, in the country is with HIV doctors get involved is, I mean, if infectious disease doctors get involved in the treatment of hepatitis C. The hepatologists are, uh, you know, they can't handle this much load. A question for mono-infected patients. If a patient has established cirrhosis, is there evidence that curing the hepatitis C improves survival? Yes, very, very strong evidence that if you have cirrhosis and you cure the patient, that all downstream complications of cirrhosis essentially go away. Your risk of liver cancer declines. You don't need a liver transplant ever after that but your risk of liver cancer declines substantially over time. It stays, but after about 15 years, it will become close to normal. So. Okay, we're running out of time, so just two quick questions and quick answers. Yeah. Aurora, thank you. Um, my question is, how far away are we from non-ribavirin and interferon-related treatment for HIV? The reason is interferon and ribavirin are extremely toxic drugs. I had a patient whom I tried to treat with that, uh, interferon and ribavirin, and he went to kill his psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. So how far away are we? You know, About interferon five. and ribavirin are like the DDI. I don't know whether you know what sure. DDI stands for. Do yeah. not do it. Yes. No, I think the answer is five to six years for non-interferon-based treatment. Proof of concept has already been shown it can be done. Ian Hall from LSU. Um, I was... It seems to me that there is no role left for traditional therapy in co-infected patients with, with genotype 1. We either wait or we treat with uh, the new, newer agents. Is, is, is that a fair statement? Um, not, I think if you, uh, no, there is little room there. So let's take a patient with low viral load, IL-28BCC, young patient, um, and you could, you could start Tegriba alone, remember? Just imagine we are going down the Vosepravir pathway. 
instead of at four weeks adding bisepravir, you look and see, and if the patient is negative, you're going to have very, very high cure rate just with two drugs, and you might be able to do it. So I think there's a, but you're right, the window is small there. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you.